Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today on the podcast, we are talking to presidential candidate and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. Now, for years, he was known as the senator from Silicon Valley for his long ties to the tech center. Dating back to when he was a student at Stanford, he was tight with Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, and he's long been fueled by contributions from the Valley. But Democrats are kind of getting fed up with tech companies. So much so, they're starting a series of hearings as a part of a bipartisan investigation into antitrust concerns. We talked to Booker about how Democrats and others can trust him to be tough on tech. That and more when the Chronicle's Washington correspondent, Tal Copen, and I talk to Cory Booker next on It's All Political. Senator Cory Booker, welcome to It's All Political. Welcome to, as the speaker says, the city of St. Francis. <laughs> it's very good to be back in the Bay Area as a Stanford guy. This is a uh, uh, homecoming for me. Yeah. So let's start. Let's start talking about tech. Please. First, you have long ties to the tech industry. Um, when you graduate from Stanford in the early 90s, uh, your friends go on to lead tech companies right. and start tech companies and fail at some tech companies. Yes, hard to avoid, hard to avoid. <laughs> yes. And um, the senator from Silicon Valley you were known as, but you know, the, the, the Democrats, it's, the tech has kind of fallen out of favor. There's a, there's a dubiousness about tech now, concerns about privacy and stuff. How can you reassure Democrats that you, if elected president, would be tough on tech? Well, first of all, Understand, I'm the only person in this race. When I go home, I get the level set by living in an inner city, low income, uh, black and brown community below the poverty line. Um, if you go into the United States Capitol and go into my office, you see a map of the Central Ward of Newark. You want to know where I'm loyal to and what my focus is? It's empowering my community. Life is about purpose, not position. And the driving purpose of my life is to help communities like mine that have been left out, left behind, looked down upon. And so all of these issues, from pharma to tech, um, I look at the line, the, the, the things through the lens of where I live. And so my community has seen the best and the worst of tech. You see the best of it because it empowers people. You know, there are thousands of people in New Jersey who make money off of things like eBay. Uh, there's access to information with, with parents who get tutorials for their kids. But then there's very bad things that happen. Uh, people profiting off of our information and our, and our privacy. Uh, people attacking our elections and undermining them. And so I'm a person that believes fundamentally that with this tech, it's the Chinese symbol for crisis. It's danger and opportunity. And that we need to uncompromisingly uh, uh, protect ourselves from privacy, from foreign interference in our elections, uh, from people profiteering off of our information in ways that are unjust and not right. Uh, I've been speaking out about these things uh, for a long time. Uh, and as a, as a United States Senator, I've been working with others on this idea that I feel very strongly that this is an industry in these areas in particular need to be regulated. And I feel like you can't really have this conversation without getting into the issue of money. And that's on a few fronts. So, you know, for 2020 Democrats, including yourself, Silicon Valley is a major source of fundraising for Democratic politics. There's a lot of tech money that flows into Democratic coffers. There's also a, an amassing of capital in Silicon Valley that really has some concern. It's, it's part of you know, many of the crises that San Francisco is dealing with, including affordability. And I know uh, when you were mayor, 
there were some, I would say, mixed results about sort of a flood of, of sort of well-intended money coming in from... And, and you know, let me interrupt you right there. What mixed results? <laughs> well, I, know, I mean, there's criticism of some of the education efforts that were thing and whether they actually created the results that were hoped for or the money just came in. So, well, I mean, talk Well, I'm about smiling, <laughs> number one, because if you were a black kid in Newark, which is the majority of our kids, kids since the time I was mayor, your chance of going to a high-performing school went up almost 400%. Study just came out from Harvard that basically just said the interventions we did made us the educational comeback city of America. We're the number one city in this nation for what's called beat the odds schools, high poverty, high performance. And that's why I get kind of cute and say what mixed results because sure. on every indice, from out of school suspensions to graduation rates up 30%, math and reading scores up double digit percentages. Uh, the number of kids going to college, outperforming suburban schools. Now that we've had six or seven years to actually look at the results, what happened in Newark is probably a national model now for transformation. But, but the bigger point you're making is, to me, a stunning point that everybody in America has to look at, which is this concentration of corporate power that is, in, in so many ways, anti-competitive, raising prices, driving down wages, and polluting our politics with an obscene amount of money going into the coffers of lobbyists who do everything they can to rig the system against the average American. And and to me, this is being uh, not just complicit, compounded by a Supreme Court that seems to want to exalt corporate power over the rights of individuals. We have a nation right now that uh, literally our Supreme Court says that corporations are people, for crying out loud, letting them put uh, uh, perverse amounts of money that that, that have so, I've seen since Senator United, witnessed it now uh, five, six years as a senator, how it's just changed the culture of Washington. And so we have to do things to prevent, prevent that. Number one, as a senator, I've, as a presidential candidate, I've said you can't campaign wrong and think you're going to govern right. So we've said we're not taking corporate PAC money. We're not taking uh, federal lobbyist money. We're not taking pharma exec money. We're not taking money from oil companies. We've signed a, a, a pledge on that. So we say, number one, we're going to campaign in the right way. And then when we get into office, we're going to try to change this stuff, end Citizens United, create campaign finance reform. But the other thing I'm going to do is take on this big oligarchies. We, we have stopped enforcing antitrust laws as we should in this country. And from the pharma industry to the tech industry to the agricultural industry, you see farmers now whose net uh, farm income is down 50% because they're getting squeezed on every side. You have literally now companies like Monsanto and others have, now you have three companies that supply all the seeds to our farms and chemicals. You have uh, people who I've met with, Republican farmers, who said, I used to have three, four people to sell my cattle, my beef to, and now I've got one company that dictates price. This is being replicated in so many industries. If we become a nation with the ascendancy of oligarchies and, and, and corporate power at the, at the detriment of our culture, our heritage, wages, and so much more. So I'm going to be a president that takes this on. If everything from the FTC the, to the DOJ use every means I have to go after these companies from that we're seeing in retail and, and everywhere to make sure that we create a capitalist system that works for a, in, a, in a moral way for our, our country as a whole. Those will take, that will take a long time to go that route, to go the legal route, the enforcement route. What do you want to do to put money in people's pockets? Now, the last, when you grew up and grew up in Silicon Valley here as a, as a student, <laughs> the, there was certainly a wealth difference, but it's, you see it now in the streets of San Francisco and the Bay Area, it's exacerbated incredibly. 
What would you do to put money in people's pockets now? So we have a danger in this nation. From 1963, the wealthiest families on average had about 10 times the wealth uh, uh, of the uh, lower income families. It's not, that's now more than doubled in this country. And, and black-white wealth differentials in this nation, any gains that we were making into the 1960s during my lifetime have been eviscerated. And, and now the average uh, white family has more than 10 times the wealth of the average black family in America. Uh, these wealth differentials are toxic to a democracy, and uh, I intend to change them with a number of things. Number one, we have to bring uh, dignity back to work. Uh, where you can have a living wage. And it doesn't just mean, I just came from Seattle, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour and all those people that said Seattle is going to fall into the ocean. They're actually wrong. In fact, it's made their economy more vibrant. Uh, but we're going to do things like raise the minimum wage. We're going to do reverse these toxic Trump tax cuts who overwhelmingly went to the wealthiest uh, corporations and wealthiest individuals and, and focus our tax cuts on things that actually elevate wages with a massive increase in the earned income tax credit. My RISE credit would give 150 million Americans a pay increase, would cut poverty by a third. And we can pay for it just by doing that, reversing these Trump tax cuts. In addition to that, uh, one of the best, I think, uh, levers we have to change wealth uh, differentials in this country is by targeting our wealth growth strategies. Remember, we actually have wealth growth strategies in our tax code. We have over $600 billion every year we move to people who, to help people who have wealth get more wealth. And that's the, uh, uh, the, the uh, mortgage interest deduction, which overwhelmingly goes to wealthier families. It's the uh, retirement savings, which goes to people who have wealth to create more wealth. I'm not saying we should get rid of those things, but let's start targeting people who are at a different, who are, who are starting uh, in a disadvantaged way. So one of our plans is a baby bonds bill, which actually would have every kid in America, we get $1,000 into an interest-bearing account, and then would, uh, based upon your family's income every year thereafter, you would get up to $2,000. The lowest income kids would get $2,000, the wealthiest kids would see nothing. Now, by the time that you're 18, we'd have a situation where the lowest income kids would have up to $50,000 to invest in things that create wealth. Remember, income helps you get by, wealth helps you get ahead. It's intergenerational. So buying a home, uh, uh, paying for college, those kind of strategies. Columbia University analyzed this bill and said it would virtually eliminate the racial wealth gap in this country for young Americans coming up. And it would give the lowest income Americans in our country agency over their lives to be able to invest in the things that will not just help them get ahead, uh, but help their 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 families become uh, have more stake and agency in this in this capitalist society in which we live. I want to transition a little bit because the reason we're here in the San Francisco Chronicle Bureau today is the California Democratic Convention happening uh, just a couple blocks away. Obviously, this is your friend Senator Kamala Harris's you know hometown, but you're a Stanford alum. When you look ahead at the primary calendar, California is on Super Tuesday. The early states. How are you thinking about? trying to make your way up in the polls and maybe even play here on Kamala Harris's home turf? Well, again, this is my family's state as well. My mom graduated from Manual Arts High School in Los Angeles. My grandparents, like many African Americans, migrated uh, uh, to, uh, to Southern California um, and found their American dream here. And uh, I have tons of family here. I've been coming here since I was a little kid. If you want to know about Knott's Berry Farm or Magic Mountain in the 80s, I could have given you the best <laughs> tour. That hasn't come up yet in the camera. No, it has not. <laughs> so I don't see this as, as anybody's home turf. I see this as a great state of which I've known and lived in and got educated in all my life. I love California. And we're playing here. 
Yeah, this is this is uh, this is home turf for me. And, and in fact, if you go to Stanford Stadium, it literally was as a former Stanford <laughs> football player, uh, my home turf. And we're excited about this election. We think this is going to be a, a great state that reflects a lot of my greatest aspirations because you guys are doing incredible things here that many things are a model for our nation. The kind of work you're doing on climate change, the kind of work you're doing on uh, giving uh, lab labor and work dignity, the kind of things you're doing innovatively on criminal justice reform, banning the death penalty, ending three strikes, you're out. Um, and so I'm very excited about uh, uh, the Super Tuesday states in general that go from Georgia to California and uh, uh, doing what we need to do to win the election here. So where, how would you stand out, though, against Bernie, against, uh, against Kamala? I mean, Harris? you're not talking physically, because I'm the only six-foot-three no, no, big yes, black yes, guy, bald, bald <laughs> black guy in the that race. Have an he might be able to shoot over you. Yeah. Uh, he's so, not a bald black guy. Would you say Bernie he's has not a, a, He's not a bald black say, guy, though. Does Beto have an inch on me? Does he really? I don't know. Uh, my, my inside game yeah. is rough. Yeah, he would, he would we, be an outside shooter. I come from shooter. Jersey. We play outside. no blood, no foul. I'm guessing he's an outside shooter. Yeah. Um, but where, how do you how do you differentiate yourself like against those? Because let's I know that your friends all this stuff, but mano y mano, how do you how why uh, should look, people vote for you? Well, I'm the only guy in this race that only person in this race who has uh, the unique combination of a resume. I was a chief executive of a city, not just any city, the largest in my state, uh, that had 60 years of a reputation of crime and corruption, decay and decline, and now it's New Jersey's economic powerhouse. When I left to become United States Senator, we're only 6% of the state's population, but one out of every three building permits in the state was going on in Newark. If you drive through Newark right now, from our school system uh, to the jobs we've created, apprenticeship programs for our kids, supermarkets and food deserts, transformation of our court system, uh, we have a real record to run on as a chief executive. But then I was a United States Senator that in a place like Washington, people see as broken, the only major bipartisan bill that passed through the United States Senate under this president was one I led uh, with Dick Durbin on the Democratic side in the Senate for criminal justice reform. Uh, and I'm very proud of that. But even things that are helping California create thousands of new jobs, opportunity zones, was the bill I wrote uh, that's incentivizing capital into the lowest income areas. So I have a unique resume of somebody getting things done in Washington where people say things can't get done that make a difference for communities like mine in Newark, New Jersey, uh, as well as uh, being a chief executive. But then the biggest thing I, I, I tell people is they're all different flavors in this race of approaches to beating Donald Trump. Uh, I'm going to beat Donald Trump not because I'm going to emulate him. I don't believe that this is a race where we go, they go low, we go lower, or fight fire with fire. Ran a fire department, not a good strategy. <laughs> um, I talk to people about this is a moral moment in our country, and we don't need to show the worst of who we are. This is a moment that calls for leaders that can inspire us back to the ideals of a beloved community that can say that, hey, we are going to inspire the moral imagination of this country because beating Donald Trump is a floor. It is not the ceiling of our aspirations because if we beat Donald Trump and go back to those glorious days of 2012, 2014, in my neighborhood, we still have kids uh, that have elevated blood lead levels. We still have kids uh, that uh, uh, whose families work full-time jobs and still need food stamps at the local bodega in my neighborhood. We still have shootings on my block where Shahad Smith was killed with an assault rifle on my block last year. We still have a drug treatment center across the street where evidenced on the guys that come together that we treat mental illness and addiction with jail and prison, not healthcare and health. All of these things were going on before Donald Trump was elected. My goal and my ambition is to tell this nation we have to end the toxic politics of hate and division, that zero-sum game politics, us against them, and find a way to put more indivisible back into this one nation under God, because that's how we solve 
real challenges and problems that this nation needs to do. We have to find a way to pull this country back together to solve the injustices that persist from from South Central to Newark, New Jersey. We don't need to just beat Donald Trump. We need to get this country uh, to the mountaintop again, and that's that's why I'm running. And you know, you certainly have that sort of reputation as the candidate in the field that you know is about sort of warmth and, and coming togetherness. You know, speaking of Washington, as where you're a senator, so are many of your fellow candidates. And I know you are actually quite close friends with several of the fellow senators running. Uh, I think on our side of the table, when you talk about sort of the, the journalists, the pundits, one of the things we're wondering is, is when does this primary get negative and what does that look like? I'm curious how you feel so far that these friendships have been able to navigate this campaign and whether you see a point where that could sort of start to fray and we're going to have to see some bit of the Democratic candidates, you know, distinguishing themselves from each other. Well, I, I honestly think past is prologue. If you want to know how a person's going to be, often look at where, from whence they've come. Now, there's actually an Oscar-nominated documentary about me fighting in probably with the toughest election I've ever seen, trying to take down the political machine in Newark. And I hope folks will go on Netflix or whatever and watch it. It's 87 minutes. It lost, unfortunately, to March of the Penguins. In, 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 uh, they're not that cute. They're not that cute. <laughs> But, voted for years over the <laughs> but one of the things I'm proudest about in that election is I showed that, that being tough doesn't mean being mean. Being strong doesn't mean being cruel. That you can fight hard and, 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 and not take on that negativity and toxicity that's poisoning our politics right now. So, yeah, I know Kirsten Gillibrand is one of the toughest fighters. Uh, she's one of my best friends in Washington. And she fight, I mean, what she did on issues of... Uh, 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 attacking on the military establishment, on rape in the military. I mean, she's a hard fighter, but she never gave up her dignity in that fight. We are Democrats. We can fight hard on the principles we believe in and not take cheap shots at each other. And, and it's really important to me, and again, I hope I'm the nominee, I'm fighting to win, but after this is all over, we have to unite behind somebody. And we didn't do that very well in 2016. And the consequences of it we're seeing on the Supreme Court right now where, we've, where, we're, where literally people are charging up there to try to tear down Roe v. Wade. We're seeing the consequences of that right now with our environment, with a president that's rolling back fuel efficiency standards, reversing the mercury and methane rules, uh, uh, stopping the clean power plant. This, look at the consequences of our divisiveness uh, in this election. And so I'm telling everybody, number one, we're going to fight hard. And I know the, the folks in this race, not just the fellow senators. Hell, everybody from Hickenlooper and I were mayors together. I know folks in this race. We're all tough, hard fighters. And in this race, I'm bringing it, everything that I have, not my meanness, not cruelty, not cheap shots. I'm bringing my heart, my spirit, my energy to try to inspire folks to support my campaign so that we can inspire this nation. But if, when it's all over and the dust settles, whoever is the nominee – Everybody needs to fall in line and make sure we get rid of Donald Trump. I want to talk impeachment for a second. Uh, you're for impeachment. You've called that we sh the Democrats should for, start. I want to be specific here. I'm for the commencement of impeachment proceedings so that we can investigate this president, which is the job of Congress. He has mm -hmm. been stonewalling and resisting a legitimate investigation. How do I know that? Because Mueller himself right. has so, said that we should do this investigation. So, Pelosi says, you know, it's easy for the senators to say that, you know, they, you know, they, they don't have any skin in the game here. Um, what do you say 
to the, I mean, from a strategic point of view, it looks like it would be a Pyrrhic victory for Democrats and, and possibly even worse. If, if the House were to impeach him, it comes to the Senate. You don't have the numbers in the Senate. And then Trump gets to say, well, you know, I was cleared. And that simple message may resonate better than all the other stuff you know, that I, came I, before I be, what, what, How do you respond? I, I just say, I respond to this by, by you're looking through a political lens. I wouldn't be here. Literally, would, you and I would not be sitting together if I looked at my life, only what's the political up or political down. Heck, we have tens of thousands of kids in Newark that are going to schools that now beat the suburbs. When my political people told me, you don't even have responsibility of public schools in, in Newark, or you're the mayor, you have no authority over them. Why are you sticking your neck out on something that you know, Fenty in D.C. has really hurt mayors in the past? And I said, because this is not about politics. It's about what's morally right. And so I agree with you. The politics of impeachment ain't good. But when I look at the moral vandalism of this president, when I read the Mueller report and see the deceit and the misconduct that is clear on those pages, and I know what the moral obligation that we swore an oath to do, I literally raised my hand in front of the vice president, then Biden, and, and, and said I would uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. And the Constitution is clear. We do not have an authoritarian government here where Donald Trump can do whatever he wants. He is not above the law. Congress should be allowed to investigate him, and he's stonewalling that. That was actually one of the impeachment uh, 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 principles, one of the articles of impeachment against Nixon was just not complying with congressional subpoenas. He cannot flaunt the Constitution. Here's a guy that used a constitutional technicality called the, 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 the Electoral College to win. He didn't win the popular vote. He used the Constitution to become President of the United States. Well, I'm sorry, that same Constitution says that you are not above the checks and balances of Congress. So I know the politics of this aren't great. I, I, I literally, I'm going to see Nancy Pelosi later on today. God bless her for trying to navigate this difficult, difficult time. But, but for me, I've made my decision and made my choice plain and clear. The, the moral vandalism of this president cannot go unchecked. He needs to be investigated. The things that he's done, Mueller has clearly said, point to potential obstruction of justice. History will look back at this moment and I wanna be one of those th people that said, I didn't put my politics before my principles. And as I call it, tough call here, as I call it, this president is not above the law. He should be investigated. And the best way to do that investigation right now for a president stonewalling the normal functions of Congress is to begin impeachment proceedings. So I want to get you out of here on something non-political. As a Stanford guy, as a California guy, when you come to the Bay Area, if you have the time, what's the one thing? you want to do. Wow. Uh, that is so easy. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, the blessing I see in life, and we're all, you're still in your 20s, uh, but, we're, but we're you, and I, you and I, you and I, you and I have the demo. same, same, we'll well, same demo, same, same amazing <laughs> haircut. from same both of us, actually. <laughs> <laughs> from one middle-aged bald guy to another. Yes, we save thousands on product every year. <laughs> Someone told me my hair is consistent. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, for you know, what, what I savor in life is those friends of mine who've known me for decades now. People who knew you when when you had hair, <laughs> and and uh, so when I come out here, I have just from from Northern California to Southern California, from the family I have in the Southern California to the friends I have in Northern California. This is the, one of the best places I go where I can just loosen my tie, be myself, laugh about past mistakes, and have my friends remind me that they might have some information 
information about really embarrassing things I did in college. <laughs> so that that's just good. And we all need to keep our feet on the ground, not take ourselves too seriously and have people. Uh, what's that old prayer? May God grant me at least one friend that truly knows me and is still my friend anyway. I got a lot of those friends in California. All right. Senator Cory Booker, thanks for being on It's All Political. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank you all for listening today. I'd like to thank Tal for coming in and talking to Cory Booker with us. I'd like to thank Senator Booker for being here in San Francisco to talk with us. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for producing today's podcast. And remember, whether you're a puppet of big tech or not, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garifoli. Thanks. Thanks.